Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast, Episode 7. And boy, do we have a special one for you today. We've got our own very special first special guest, so that's very exciting. And uh, we've got some news and information. I'm joined, as always, with my friend and colleague, Don Helbig. Don, how's it going today? It's going well. You know, Episode 7, here we go. I know. We're, we're, we're getting seven. there now. Yeah, and uh, so we haven't been on the air for almost two weeks now. So we do apologize once again for the delay, but I don't want to make excuses, but Don went somewhere pretty special. Don, where did you go last weekend? You went to Dollywood. I'll spoil that. But where else did you go? Oh my gosh. I went to Bucky's. Bucky's, the Disney World of gas stations. So the Bucky's, I believe you went to the one in Richmond, Kentucky, right? I did. I did. You know what's if you've seen the movie Field of Dreams and you see like at the end, if you build it, you know, they will come and you see all the cars going down the road to go into this place. I mean, it was just like that. You know, I wish I had the camera rolling because there were hundreds of cars coming off the interstate uh, just to go to Bucky's. Yeah, I believe that they have um, 100 gas pumps, actually. That's one of their big gimmick things. 120? 120, I counted. Oh, well, you counted all I of them. Yeah. And then uh, so did you try any of the food? Because their food is actually exceptional, especially for a gas station. I did, you know, in addition to the treats, yes, the sandwiches had to make sure that, uh, you know, I tried them. So we got some sandwiches on the way down. You know, you mentioned we went to Tennessee, Dollywood. Um, and then also on the way back, you know, picked up some sandwiches again, too. Wow, you made two trips to Bucky's. I couldn't talk my girlfriend into stopping there on the way back because she said, quote unquote, this place is stupid. So if you ever find somebody with an attitude like hers, they're probably related to her because how can you not love it? Uh, what was your favorite food item? You know, everybody always, you know, before I went there, everyone said, you got to try the barbecue brisket sandwich. I mean, it's outstanding. Uh, but for me, the Club Melt uh, was a, just a little bit better than the uh, barbecue brisket. So that would be my favorite awesome, sandwich. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, you know, um, we always forget to do this at the top of the program. So I want to go ahead and uh, remind everybody that they can follow us on Twitter at attractions underscore GRP. That's a great way to communicate with us. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show, any show ideas, mm -hmm. any comments, thoughts, hate mail for Don. I mean, we're, we're taking anything. Um, look for us on YouTube. <laughs> Don, you look like you're about to defend yourself. I was just kidding. <laughs> no, no. What I'm, I'm thinking here is, you know, uh, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, doing some live podcast and the best way that that's going to work is to have some uh, audience participation and the best way for us to interact with our guests while we're live is going to be on Twitter. So make sure that you follow us. And uh, if we get up to 100 followers uh, within the next, say, four or five days, I've just got a treasure trove of all this amusement park memorabilia. I'll pull something out of that, and we'll randomly choose somebody that's going to win an okay, item. Okay, so if we reach 100 users by, um, I'm guessing that would be... 100 followers on Twitter. 100 fit Twitter followers, sorry. I don't, do, I don't tweet that well. Um, by, you want to say Wednesday? Then we'll do some sort of contest for something kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go for next Wednesday before our next podcast. If we're over a hundred followers, I will, you know, just pull something randomly out of my um, treasure trove of amusement park theme park memorabilia, and uh, we'll pick a winner. That sounds fantastic. Well, as always, you can uh, also look for us on YouTube for look for the Attractions Group podcast, and uh, you'll be able to find full episodes as well as clips there. Uh, we want to get as many YouTube subscribers as possible. 
because we want to start going live and doing live things with you. And then we can have a chat and we can interact. Um, one of the ideas we threw around is having a live uh, broadcast for our reactions to the Golden Ticket Awards coming up here in a couple weeks. So got a ways to go to make it worth everybody's time, but we'd love for you to do that. So look for the Attractions Group on YouTube and just search for the Attractions Group podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps. Okay, we need to get down to business because we've got a very special friend here today. So I want to introduce everybody to Mr. David Detling. So David has been a friend and business partner of mine for um, about, is it more than five years now, David? It's been, uh, let's see, probably 2016. Uh, So maybe to... Maybe even before that. I don't know. It's been a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's been a number of years. So uh, David and I met each other through uh, Kings Island, of course, you know, um, and we've partnered on many, many projects. And David, uh, for matter of full disclosure, is actually the proprietor of the Attractions Group. And a lot of people have been asking about the Attractions Group and, um, you know, what it does as, as opposed to just being the name of the podcast. Uh, so for those who are, um, you know, not in tune with some of the inner workings of the industry. Why don't you tell us about yourself and what the attractions group does? All right. And first of all, let me just preface this by saying, use the term special way too many times when you, when you're alluding to your very special guest in the special uh, podcast, my, my mantra is keep the expectations low than known as disappointed. So that's, I meant special yeah, as you just learned how to clean to color between the lines, but just giving you trouble, David. Old friends, you know. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, tell us like, about yourself. Um, proprietor, I don't know if that's the correct term or not. I just didn't like owner. I didn't like uh, CEO. I'm not a CEO of the the attraction group. So it's proprietor. I saw that on LinkedIn. I thought, ah, oh, that looks good. I'll use that. Uh, or spearhead, whatever it is. Uh, so as for what I do, it, it honestly, uh, Ryan, it depends on the day. Sometimes it depends on the hour. Uh, the attractions group started uh, as kind of a successor to uh, another similar entity of amusements and attractions. And then uh, around the time the pandemic happened, no one was transacting business. No one was doing anything. And uh, the uh, attraction industry as a whole went into hibernation and um, started with a a networking site. And uh, we have a networking site that has about uh, 450 people on it. It's a, it's attractions network. Uh, we've done uh, complimentary education sessions using named people in the industry. You may not recognize the name, but you definitely recognize their title. Uh, Joel Manby, who at one time was the CEO of Hurston Family Enterprises and then uh, on to SeaWorld, he did a set for us last year. Uh, Dan Cockerell, who did just about everything you could do at Disney before retiring at age 49 uh, to, to go on this speaking circuit, uh, he did a set for us. We've had different uh, Disney Imagineers do uh, education series as well as um, uh, Tim Murphy, who runs uh, Boomers Parks, primarily out west. And I believe they're down Florida as well. So that's that's one of the arms of uh, what the Attractions Group does. Uh, as my input to it, I, I love a themed uh, attraction industry. I like a well-thought-out ex- uh, immersive experience. And... Um, I did a little bit more of that, more so before the pandemic set in. I haven't really got back into guest experience conversations much recently. Uh, but uh, since about 2017, uh, you were along in the beginning part of that, Ryan, doing uh, consulting for interactive technologies for the theme. Yeah, the yeah, So, like I said, it really kind of depends on the day, but um, and sometimes hour. Yeah, yeah. 
That's a that's a we call those 1099s, right, David? When people do, they'll do work for the money, no matter what the job description is. Yeah, David, technology is becoming more hand-in-hand with theme parks more and more each year. Uh, what are the benefits uh, to guests uh, where a park or a facility uh, would work with you? It's, it's a kind of an anomaly because a themed attraction industry is probably, if you've ever been to an expo or been to the, the, uh, the uh, conventions that they have, it is some of the most uh, creative, innovative, uh, just entrepreneurial environments that you can imagine. But oddly enough, when it comes to um, interactive technologies, especially from a uh, uh, guest to screen or interaction, bureaucratic cities and mixed-use facilities are actually leading the, the most of the uh, innovation on that. It's not even a theme park industry. It's starting to catch on, but it's a relatively new technology. I think before the, the pandemic, it was starting to take on. But uh, once 2020 hit, there was this thing. People didn't want people touching screens. Their interactivity went away for a little bit. Uh, but um, my, my genesis to this came in 2016 with the whole concept of smart cities are starting to, to evolve. And when Ryan and I had conversation with the, with the company that's doing this, we started imagining what would a smart park look like? And as far as um, the, the benefits of working with this, is a uh, there's a visual aspect to this, but it's also uh, what most management assumes that this is with, or that's the only thing it does. And for the most part, the first generation iteration of this technology that was about it. It was these giant screens around parks that had done running PowerPoint slides, and uh, now it the technology has changed. And, and though that is still part of it, uh, there is. Um, a lot more to it, and ideally, it is something that's not standalone, but it uh, interacts with uh, web app uh, in any touch point that uh, may exist at a park. That's awesome, David. Um, no, go ahead. No, from where it interacts with the the guests in the park, it just connects all the the touch points. It's not a standalone piece. It's not intended to be that way, though sometimes it is. But it's intended to complement the uh, other touch points are already in existence. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, obviously when we think digital screens, most people are going to think, well, if I want to monetize these, you know, I got to put ads on them. Uh, so that's kind of a given, but besides, um, uh, besides putting ads on them, what are, what are some other ways? Like when they ask, like, where's the money? Cause obviously like real estate is very valuable in the parks. So even like where a digital sign would be or a digital billboard or whatever, what are other ways you can monetize them besides just throwing ads on them? The interesting thing about the, about the units, especially where they are now, is there you can put just about any kind of sensor you want on these. And a, uh, a theme park or, or attraction will spend millions of dollars putting in a, a giant roller coaster or, or a big attraction with something that you can you can only assume what the ROI comes. People come and you judge it by how many, and I don't, Don, you can correct me on all this, but uh, if there's a giant line for it, for the wait's an hour long, if it's two hours long, but then year two, it's back a little bit, or, or you know, it, after the traction's been there for a while, it's walk-on. Um, but with the, with the large park that, uh, I'm sorry, a, a park that puts a large attraction in, uh, Sometimes the marketing department escapes the thought of people spend a lot more time in walking the the, uh, the pathways in the park or staying in line at the park rather than actually riding the ride. 
uh, in the walkways, decision points where people come to uh, a couple different major intersections within a park, uh, as well as the line queues are missed opportunities. And uh, those are opportunities that the park can use to engage people, whether that's a, a, a screen in the line queue, the QR code and bounce back to the, the app or, or, a, uh, or their web-based product. And, uh, it, but during that time, most parks, uh, I would say 99% of the parks concede that uh, time to uh, YouTube, to um, Instagram, to Snapchat, or I don't know if kids are still going to Roblox or not, but uh, I mean, the space is 2022, people stand in line, they're going to own more so they're going to interact with the, the environment around them. And so what these screens can do is bring engagement back to the park so that uh, the, the park can gather those analytics. Uh, and those units can uh, uh, generate the uh, analytics through touch analytics. People actually come up interacting with them on the screen. Vision analytics through sensors that uh, can heat map and see where people, where the concentration of people are. Wi-Fi, if uh, someone is connected to the Wi-Fi beacon that's within the unit, which uh, let's be honest, a lot of the parks, they, they are self-signal black holes. And mostly uh, because the parks haven't... Uh, contracted with a maybe cell phone provider, put a tower in the park. Mm. Uh, and also mobile. I, I know that a number of years ago, it, your question was, where's the show me the money at? Uh, I think it was 2017. Ryan and I were in a meeting with a, a person in a park down in, in uh, down south. I'm not going to name the name, but they're down south. And at that point, they had just completed a demographic study by hiring an agency. And I'll try to make this as quick as possible. They had hired an agency to come in. Actually, they interviewed a number of different companies to see who they wanted to do the demographic study, see where this next attraction was going to be based on their layout and the available space where it should be. And they spent three months interviewing a company, and the company prepared another 60 days to come in, so already up to five months. They did two months to do the study, and that would be uh, site evaluation by overlooking, watching how people flowed, interviewing people, and then they came back and... Uh, compile their, their results for another month, and then present their findings to the park to what they should do next. And uh, this is a southern park, so they get the hurricanes on occasion. And by the time that they, from the time they want to start doing the study to the time they actually had the report in hand, which, by the way, is a dated report by the time they got it, was close to a year. Because of the sensors and the, the ability units have, and it's not just one, one company that does the units, any company can do this, the results and the demographics and the analytics are real time. So at least in this park, anything can invalidate the data that's in the, the report they just paid 600,000 for. Hurricane, uh, another bad storm, downpours, civil unrest, any number of things could invalidate it. Yeah, I mean, so David, not to interrupt you, but something that comes to mind is that I know that uh, one of the partner companies that we had uh, mentioned that when they put these uh, like the digital wayfinders in uh, not really malls, but more like out lifestyle centers because they're outdoors uh, that uh, the, the retail establishment, well, not the retail establishments, but the landlords were able to charge more uh, for rents and have um, more appropriate stores based on the demographics. So they would have, if, if the, if the wayfinders notice that women make a right hand turn when they enter the, the lifestyle center, they can put Victoria's secret there or whatever. You know, so obviously that kind of stuff translates to parks. Would you agree with that? Because there's more engagement with them. Cool. 
All right, David, uh, parks, they're often trying to drive everyone to their mobile app, you know, leave that uh, world of paper behind, you know, with the regular park maps. So how would digital signage, uh, those systems factor into that kind of a plan for a park where you're trying to get away from the paper and having everyone kind of go to the mobile app? Uh, well, it'd be something that would just be integrated. A lot of times places either have the app and it's a state website, it's a standalone piece, Wayfinder units, which are standalone piece. But ideally, this would be something that'd be integrated working hand in hand with it. Uh, the uh, wayfinding units have a QR code on it. You scan the QR code, it bounces you right back to the, the app. Uh, even today, most parks, I think it's fair to say, have an app. Uh, everything from the mon monstrosity that is uh, the My Disney Experience, which used to, if you used it like they wanted you to, your phone is dead by noon. And, and then there's some that, uh, there's only one or two functions that people use on it. But uh, it's something that would cause uh, the parks obviously pay money, good money for an app to be developed, whether or not people use it or not. It's still something in 2022 you have to have. These units are something that does is not intended to compete with an already existing technology, but to complement it, either by QR code or, or uh, uh, being through, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking for? Alerts, not alerts. Push but, notifications. Um, but there you go, that's it. Push <laughs> notifications back to the, back to the units. And if so, if implemented correctly, they drive traffic to an app or to existing structures, not and vice versa, not compete with them. Awesome. Um, so, David, what kind of um, what kind of content do you would you recommend that a park puts on these? Obviously, like you know, a map would be pretty self-evident in ads, but what other content would you recommend a park put on it if they were considering a project like this? If I were talking to a, uh, a park executive at the moment, one of the first things I'd do is if, if they're in the marketing or operations or whatever their, their role would be, I'd tell them just, just someday take a different route to the office. And from the time you get in the car to the time you walk in the park, experience it as someone who's never been there before. Uh, when you drive through the through the parking area, uh, drive to your parking spot, get to the the gate. What's your employee interaction? Are there weeds around the 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 area up front? Do the glasses have smudges on them? Uh, is, and as you go through the park, is there vomit dust still in the in the line queues? Uh, what's the flow of the park? Uh, really, in, in this, it transitions from one area to the next, and then come back and see. Okay, as a first time guest. What would I need to find out, or what would be useful information for me? Is it an alert, or actually, and have 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 the team do it as well? Then meet back and storyboard what that uh, experience should look like, and what sort of information information would a guest want? Is it uh, alerts, weather, wait ride wait times, uh, show times, food options, uh, directions, and uh, one of the th uh, analytics that these some of these sensors have is heat mapping what areas of the park are congested. Can you pull that up and see where, okay, we want to go over this area, but uh, it's really congested right now. Let's go over here. Uh, so there, there's just a number of different things that uh, yeah, I could say would be relevant to a park, but honestly, every park is different. It's like a city that has a different population every day. So what would be important to this, this uh, group today might not be as important tomorrow. And the, the genius of these things is that they can, they can be updated on a dime. You can push notifications out if you have, uh, I believe it was, uh, I forget what year it was, probably very early, uh, there was a park that had installed one of these, and they did push notifications out, and uh, I believe their 
there's some area of the park that had an abundance of food order. And they had a big storm come through the week before, and they their attendance was way down. And they had a lot of this expensive food that was either they need to get rid of or was going to go bad. And they used uh, Unit 2 push notifications out to people that, hey, the, your, what, the burger basket, whatever it is, it's $2 off today, you go to this kiosk. And uh, they ran, even though $2 off on you know, the $20 <laughs> parked meal was, uh, was hardly that much, it's still the, the perceived value of it uh, caused people to go do that, and they ran all their supply. So it's also uh, just uh, something that uh, the marketing department can use, operations can use it, uh, and just use it to the advantage. It takes creativity to figure out which function you want it to serve that day. Okay, now on the topic of content, uh, who would manage the content if they were to work with you and put in the signage? Would it be the park? Would there be a third party that would do all this? So how do you, you keep on top of it and manage it? Uh, Don, that, that uh, depends upon the venue and, and quite frankly, the, uh, the software developer. There's, there's a number of different developers that do these, uh, different hardware providers. Some use LG, some use Samsung, Samsung and some use other types of screens. So it really, there's a lot of factors that depends on. Uh, I have talked to different software providers in the last couple weeks and months, and there are some, it's their proprietary software. They have fingerprints on it. They invest a lot of money in developing it, and they obviously don't, they don't want the end user touching it. Uh, and I understand that they've invested all that money. They don't want to give people the key to the back door. Um, so in that instance, obviously, the, the software developer would have uh, people on their staff, a team team of people that would manage that for that. The, the park would reach out and say, hey, we need this updated. Can you do this? And we need this updated over here. Uh, the company that we're partnered with, uh, they have a customized content management system. And so you can either contract them to do that or it is something you can do completely independent. You can... Uh, uh, update things on the fly. You can make uh, updates per screen and that doesn't have to necessarily be, excuse me, with the, the software developer, but that can be done on site. And most of all maintenance issues can be remoted in through uh, cloud reporting if something were to happen. Yeah. So you mentioned that, um, you know, your current partner uh, has its own interface and stuff. Um, I've actually done a lot of work with, uh, with like bright sign players and stuff like that, which are right now the industry standard. And um, if you sit down and you spend several days to learn the software, it's doable, but it's not something you can sit down in front of and just figure out on your own. You, you've got to know to know. Um, what's the what's the back end interface like for the software that you use? Well, I'm gonna uh, relay a story that uh, I know uh, Ryan, you and I had talked about. It, to, to really speak to what you just said, the, comple the complexity of the, the back end, uh, I did a, um, with the content management system, it, this one's pretty, that I work with, and there's others out there, but the one that I work with uh, is developed by a company in, in, based in Cincinnati, or I guess the greater Cincinnati area. Uh, it's called RoveIQ, and um, theirs is pretty easy. I was conducting a demo at the offices for IAP in Orlando back at the end of June, and uh, I had never laid eyes on their content management system. I was doing a, a pretty big presentation uh, to, now it was for a, a project that they had never done done before. So they're doing some custom, they do custom work and it ended up being done very well. Mm -hmm. But 90 minutes prior to the meeting, I never laid eyes on the dashboard or the, the flow of it at all. And um, 
I tell people I sit at the Starbucks across the street from SeaWorld, which I'd meet people with that I know in, in Orlando. That's just an easy place to find. And I'm sitting there kind of twiddling my thumbs thinking, okay, it's 90 minutes. How am I going to do this? And literally the link came and I'd never laid eyes on it before. The honest truth, I'd never seen the back end that I was going to be demoing. And I still had to drive to the meeting. So with 90 minutes left, uh, I was able to sort through, self-teach myself the dashboard, get things uploaded like they needed to be. I even messed up the first time and had to go back to lead everything and start over and was able to do that, figure it all out enough that I could go into an office for the uh, the people at the IAPA offices to uh, step them through it, how it worked, and sort of do a real broad-based based teaching of, of how the content management system worked. So that, there's some that may be complex, but <laughs> theirs is really uh, intuitive and very user-friendly. So you're, you're able to, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm just following up. But, uh, you, but you're able to, like your testament is that you were able to just sit down in front of the software and use it, right? Like, so it wasn't like it was a learning curve. Awesome. Sorry, Don, go ahead. Mm -hmm. All right, David, one of the things that uh, comes to mind for me when I think about outdoor signage, one of the problems is that when the sun hits it, uh, the screen almost looks black. Uh, how do you overcome that? You know, it, it, the, the first generation screens were horrible. Uh, most of them were, that they weren't uh, commercial screens that were meant for that. So there, that was kind of an endemic problem where these rolled up pretty quickly at first. And then when people saw them like, oh, we're replacing these screens all the time, you can't see them, they got burnt pixels. Uh, some are still out there in a number of different parks that are still trying to uh, kick that can along in, in replacing the screens at, at will. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Number one, the screen technology has changed dramatically. Uh, change to withstand it. Uh, there's better uh, fans and ventilation and structure on the inside to be able to withstand uh, harsh conditions. Uh, the company that we partnered with uh, guarantees their brightness for 10 years. Uh, of course, if it's maintained properly. Uh, we had a test unit installed at, um, shall we say, a large retail area of a uh, uh, themed area of Orlando back in, uh, let's see, when we installed it, we, we requested from their staff, we want the harshest environment that you can place this thing because it's gonna be a test unit. Our intent was not to just put a test unit in there, but we wanted ideally hundreds of these throughout the, the resort area. Uh, we wanted the harshest area, most direct sun, it's double-sided, so we want to get in the morning and the afternoon. Uh, we want the, if nothing shielded from rain, nothing shielded from wind. We want as much exposure to this as possible. And uh, that was at the end of January, at the end of January, 2020. Less than two months later, the, the world changed. Uh, now, the the warranty of this, of the, the brightness, is contingent upon proper maintenance. Now, I will say this is no one's fault. This is just how everything happened back in 2020. This venue did not have a single person on property in 60 days, or for 60 days. So can you guess what happened? They shut all the, the power off. These, the screens weren't working, the fans weren't running. So there's nothing but a dead screen and Florida sun beating on it for 60 days. And um, which is hardly the way that, the, that they're supposed to be maintained. And, and it's not something that is anyone's fault. You know, the, I can imagine that their upper management would be walking through in the middle of April when there's no one on the property weeks before or weeks after, why are these screens on? So it, it, it's gonna be something that plugs gonna be pulled. Uh, that was January 20, I'm sorry, 
early first quarter 2020. Uh, my family and I were down at that same venue back at the end of June, and I snapped a picture of it. As best I can tell, and I'm not in on all the conversations, but as far as I know, there's been little or no maintenance done to this unit, and it's still just as bright today as it was the day we plugged it in. And that's after three years of Florida sun, wind, rain. I think there might have even been a hurricane or a tropical storm blow through in that time. And uh, it's and it went 60 days of even worse environment when when nothing was operating like it should. So that to answer your question, uh, that I would say the technology has improved greatly, and uh, the sun hits it. Uh, the sun hits it all the time in Florida, and um, at, at least for the first half of the day, then it rains the rest of it. But it is just as bright today as it was when it was plugged in. All right. Now to clarify, you uh, when the sun's hitting it directly, you can still see it then, right? Too, it's got more nits in the sun or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, and there's sensors in there that it it uh, will change the brightness throughout the day, so it's, it's very bright during the day, so it doesn't blind people at night when you walk by it. Awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, uh, not entirely changing gears, but not but uh, you know, change gears. We know uh, some of the content that can be put on the screens and how you can message to uh, the people in your park, but um, tell me more about this. How you can do like crowd control and safety measures using uh, digital wayfinding screens. Uh, this is where the integration with the systems already present in the park come into play uh, because they're essential to it. It's not something you can operate separately. Uh, it's just to make all the touch points connected. Uh, it can be used as a Wi-Fi beacon. Uh, like I said earlier, that most most places are, are, are a black hole for cell signals. I remember we had talked to a park, uh, Ryan UI in Florida, a number of years ago. They The... Uh, Someone in management at the park, he wasn't the general manager, but I forget what his title was, but he said he didn't use the Wi-Fi that day because someone else must have been using it. And so it's using these as a Wi-Fi beacon would be able to get a signal out there so that if you do need to have an alert out there, some things happens to be, I, I hate to say, but active shooter. You can, you can alert people through the screen or I don't think that's happened in the park yet, so I don't want to say anything that I shouldn't on that. But um, through geofencing, you can put uh, alerts that are specific to specific regions of the park that would be relevant for people there. Uh, if there's someone who had passed out, there needs to be uh, medic medical people come through to clear paths for it. Uh, or if a storm's coming through, you can put a, a weather channel or whatever screen map up there to, so people can see what's coming their way. Because a lot of times in, in the summer, storms kind of come out of nowhere, especially in place, a hot and humid place like Florida. It can be sunny one minute and literally 20 seconds later, you're getting dumped on. So in the different messaging, it can be anything from just uh, alerts. Maybe people want to sponsor a message for a celebration or a birthday. Uh, but uh, there can be a number of different things on there, missing child alerts, um, any number of things. Because these are some things that, things that can be managed by the local staff, people that are in the park. It can get messages out right away quickly to people that would be relevant that would be reading at that moment. And that's a, that's a nice thing, just an updated technology. It's much more up to the minute or even up to the second if it needs to be. All right, David, Ryan and I, we've uh, discussed on a previous podcast, there's a trend in the industry about going cashless. Uh, how do your projects fit into that type of plan? There's a number of different ways I could answer that because... Um, now, the one one side of my mouth, I'd say that they would need to. Most parks want 
the transaction time. And when I say transaction time, I mean purchase. It's just the time that people come up, interact with the screen, and then get their information and go. They want the they want the transaction time to be limited so that it's freed up for the next person to come up. But uh, there's all sorts of kiosks in use in different places that also use them as point-of-sale systems. Uh, programs can be written into them to interact with an app. Uh, but the intent is usually to keep the guest transaction time minimal so they can people can come and go. Uh, but th there's also uh, kiosks that have, with the cameras on it, they can take a uh, like a, an image of the, a, a person or persons with a background of the park, and if they have the app that or part of their past that has pictures for the season or whatever the thing may be or whatever it's called, uh, they can scan their QR and it goes directly to their account. You can do point of sale, and that can be integrated in these, but I, I would say that at least from the standpoint of, of guest experience, it, it's probably not something that you'd want people doing because if you ever went to uh, a fast food place that has kiosks for people to order at, I'm, because I use these things all the time and, and work around them, it takes me forever to order out them at a fast food place. And I usually just give up and go to the go to the counter anyway. But um, so they can be used that way. There are some places that really that uh, would wish want for them to be used that way. But uh, for the most part, I would say guest experience wise, it, it wouldn't go to that function. All right, that's some great information, David. Hey, um, so we we've talked. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, one of the things that comes to mind that I know we that you and I had previously discussed with uh with one of your the suppliers was that you know it's not so much you walk up to the kiosk and you buy a ticket and it prints out a ticket that's just not the way things are done anymore but nowadays it's kind of like oh you want to go to the concert tonight scan this qr code and you can buy it you know so uh, that's the sort of thing that that um that i personally i have in mind but you've presented some fantastic ideas as well um so integrate it with uh uh, open table, I believe, a, an app that yes. Open Table has. Yeah. That if, if there's a restaurant on site that takes reservations, you can go in and plug in your reservation and do it at the at the kiosk. Yeah, super convenient. And um, I suppose it could say like, oh, you know, this restaurant has this wait time, but this has this wait time. So it's almost like advertising. Um, so your company, obviously, the attractions group, which is you know, as we, it's a conglomerate of different industry people that do different things. Um, so you've talked about, um, you know, digital signage and, and mobile apps and how you can go upward. But um, can you just kind of lay out some of the technology uh, that's available that the average person or park operator may not know about? You mentioned things like heat mapping, um, crowd control, stuff like that, uh, demographics. Can, can you just kind of give a give us like a blurb on different things that these things can do that people may not have thought that they could do? Analytics. Uh, I come from an analytic background. I love analytics. If uh, the number of analytics that these generate would have been available to, available to me when I was working as a marketing director, I'd, I'd probably still be working on it because you can get these numbers in real time and and just mess with them every day and, and try to figure out what works, what doesn't work, test this, do an A-B test over here. Uh, there's just a number of the things that the analytics just with the heat mapping, I I can't stress how much I, I love the analytics that these generate because they're 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 completely useful uh, to make database decisions. Uh, so heat map signatures, um, geofencing, they can uh, have different uh, messages get uh, pushed out depending on where you're at in the park. If you have five of them in the park, all five of them could be doing different functions or doing different messages. 
there's also now this is not something that we've gotten into. Uh, it's not had not been any project I've done, or that the the company that I'm working with that has done that I'm aware of. They may have, but uh, I know it's out there. There's called way to get to, or way to get from technology, which it, it can track whatever the IP is on a cell phone, not people, not names, but it can tell where that that uh, signature started the day and what path they took to get to the park. Now, like I said, I've never consulted one that uh, has done this, and I don't believe the company that I work with has either. But if you can imagine that, we see random billboards for parks all along interstates, regardless of what uh, community you're in. And the marketing department, they had that kind of information where the concentration of the vehicles are coming to for to their park that would make that would have great information to figure out where to place the billboards at uh and then integration with um app most people like i said they view the app and these units as two separate things but if implemented properly it should, both should feed off of each other and then web-based uh some places have web-based map and uh each handheld device that are operating with still have the same experience on your handhelds it does on the screen which is really nice so you can have a the uh the the, the mapping the options and the whatever buttons that you see on the screen in front of you would be uh through qr use uh, pulled up on the cell phone as well yeah david uh i'm a lot like you with analytics you know i just love looking at analytics all day long and uh you know using that information uh you know to your advantage you know to be better at what you do so that's great to hear that all that information would be available for you uh, David, we know that you have some exciting news to share about the IAPA convention that's coming up this November. So what can you tell us? Yeah, what can you tell us? Um, right now, the plan is to have this podcast, is, is, if I'm correct, to at least broadcast live from there at least once, maybe twice. Uh, we'll have special guests plan to be interviewed. There's some that we that I know are going to be there and uh, have agreed that they want to that they will be interviewed. However, uh, there's you never know who's going to show up there. I, I think it was a number of years ago, uh, Ryan. I think you were probably there, but some six foot ten foot guy was walking around uh, yellow and red and and had boots on and uh, had an entourage following him around. He gave me a leg drop. If you want another clue, drop <laughs> on. <laughs> Don't know if anyone like a Hulk Hogan would ever come over and, and be part of the interview. That'd be huge if they did. But uh, I say that to say you never know who's going to bump in. You're going to bump into there. Certainly would have never expected to see someone like a Hulk Hogan walking through IAPA. But uh, I guess there's his uh, beach shop would have been uh, looking for for uh, merchandise there. But you never know. Last year at the booth, we had live interviews going on. Uh, it wasn't uh, obviously. The attraction group wasn't doing it, but we had uh, different interviews with a uh, uh, person who was a former vice president of Magic Kingdom, Epcot, uh, Hollywood Studios, and uh, as well as a person who was executive vice president over the Disney World properties in Florida. And we had a number of different uh, people on iDrive that, uh, that did interviews. So we plan to do some of that again. I don't know if any of those people will return. But uh, there are planned interviews, and then, again, the uh, people walking by that we, we grab and make them do an interview. So that, I, I think those are, uh, as far as I can tell, there's going to be some other things coming up that I, I can't share right now that are still in development. But uh, those are th some things that are coming up. And uh, I remember IAPA was 10 months ago, then it was 7 months ago, and now it's, what, I think we're under 90 days. Yeah, right yeah. around the corner, but that sounds like right a lot of fun. Days. Yeah, a lot of fun. It'll be uh, interesting and looking forward to it. 
Yeah, I mean, as you guys know way better than me, time definitely passes faster as you age into the elderly oh. age. But all right, so um, David, you know, just to summarize, uh, then this is this is my takeaway from kind of what we discussed. But digital wayfinders, a lot more to them than um, than people might think, especially on the surface. Lots of revenue generating opportunities, lots of uh, analytic and learning and. Um, being able to keep the guests informed. So all of that's mm-hmm. really good. So you manage the site sort of project. So you, you do end to end as far as uh, getting everything together and setting the, the, uh, the client, which would be the park or the venue up with, with these units and teach them how to do it and so on. So mm-hmm. um, if anyone's interested at this point, uh, maybe that once a preliminary conversation before IAPA, where can you be reached? A number of different ways. In, in, before I mention that, I'd like to vision this as it's, this is a sandbox. It's not a, a product that you're sticking out there that you have to figure out how to manage. It's it's it's, it's a tool, and it's a sandbox that has any number of different features to it that, uh, that they're there for the the taking. You just need to activate them. So there's a number of different ways you can contact us. Uh, it's the website is theattractionsgroup.com, uh, spelled out all lowercase. Uh, we have a, a site on LinkedIn, obviously a company page, and then we have a networking page uh, as well as a site that goes with that. That's at, has one of the new, newer designations. It's a www.attractions.network. Uh, it's not, not attractionsnetwork.com. It's uh, the dot is in between the two words. So those are all the different ways. Uh, we have a YouTube channel out there. We have, uh, of course, the social media feeds that this podcast has. And I believe that just about everything has a way to contact someone. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, David. It's uh, I appreciate you having me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for uh, you know for your partnership over the past six or seven years and your friendship. And thank you so much for being on. Um, we'll definitely have you on again, don't you think, Don? Oh, absolutely. And David, you will always be known as our first ever guest on the Attractions Group podcast. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, you'll be great. Does uh, and, and maybe next time you'll you'll tell me about the, the dress code before getting on here. I'm the only one without the uh, flower. In shirt. the attractions group on the office, school, uh, Thursday is Hawaiian shirt day. You should know this. You get the memos. <laughs> but I didn't get the memo on this. Awesome. One. Well, so if we do this on Wednesday, what's Wednesday? Wednesday is uh, cowboy hats. Big bucket hat or just a? Wait, white do you follow your heart. Monday is Bucky's t-shirt day. Um, Tuesday is uh, sleeveless shirt day. Um, all right, Don. Well, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the show, and that's when we talk about the latest news, information, patents, and so on in the theme park industry. And that's a little segment we like to call... All right, Ryan, we're going to start out the Orange County Register. They're reporting magic bands. They're coming to Disneyland. And this is part of the introduction into the next generation of the wearable tech wristbands at the Walt Disney World Resort. Disney announced that it would be bringing the new Magic Band Plus devices to the Disneyland Resort later this year. Ryan, is this going to be a hit with the uh, Disneyland crowd? Well, Don, I mean, that's that's uh, that's easy to answer because they they did it on a large scale at Disney World and they would not have expanded it to another park if they weren't really confident that it was going to be successful. I think it's brilliant. You have a lot of experience with, with Disney World with the Magic Pans. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's convenient or confusing or what? I think it's, uh, it's convenient. It's very useful. I think... Uh, in time 
it's going to be well accepted there. Uh, but they do have that base of Disneyland fans, and anytime there's any kind of change whatsoever to to how they're doing things, you know, there's always a little bit of um, uproar about it. Uh, but I think it's going to be a hit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I think that there's so much that can be done. We discuss this every every show about magic bands and cell phones and stuff like that. And um, I think that the more you can integrate technology, the better. This isn't a screen that distracts you from the um, fr- from what's going on around you and from the park. It actually integrates with the park. It can be a declining cash balance. It can get you into your room. It can do your fast pass. I think it's everything. So I would say that if I had to guess, I would say thumbs up for Disneyland. It'll take a while. You're right, but I think that it'll be a smash hit. Do you agree? Yeah, it'll be a good. It'll be a good thing moving forward. Awesome. Cool. Now on to story number two. Uh, and this one is, uh, we're going to attribute this to Dollywood a little bit, but the Dollywood has said at the time of this recording to announce their new attraction tomorrow, which is uh, presumably going to be in Wildwood Grove. Um, and they've been doing a bunch of teasers with bears and stuff. So uh, what I wanted to do with this is I wanted to pose this question for you, Don. Um, teaser campaigns and stuff like that all lead to like backstories with, with, with rides, you know, uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent. I know that Orion has area 72 and the whole story behind it. And there's the legend of the beast. And then, you know, Disney has it for everything. All their IPs are based off of movies. Does that even matter? Or is that more for the initial marketing? Story matters, uh, in great does it enhances, uh, the guest experience. It allows you to, you know, use your imagination. It engages you better uh, when there's a, a story that's going into the attraction. It's not just, you know, a ride that there is that backstory to it. You know, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I think that there's a lot of people that hung, get hung up on theming. And in a lot of cases, they're unfairly comparing what a Six Flags would do with what a Disney would do. Um, but to have the story and to have the effort there, I think it goes a long way. I mean, would you agree with that? No, I mean, it really does. Uh, you know, when I was, was growing up going to the parks, it was just a ride. There wasn't any type of backstory tied into anything. Uh, you know, so you started to see that, uh, you know, over the last 15, 20 years where a lot of things are story-driven attractions. And I think it really adds a lot uh, to these attractions. Uh, you know, so by the time you get to the ride, you're still really immersed in the story. You understand, uh, you know, a little bit behind the name and, and those kind of things. So, you know, I, I love to see a great story driven attraction. I think it's, uh, you know, it really matters. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I think the theme matters. I think you're right. I think it's immersive. Uh, it gives you a reason to be there because, you know, you get into roller coaster tycoon three, if you start dropping rides everywhere without any kind of theming. So, uh, Dollywood always is spot on for almost everything they do. I'm sure this is going to be a wonderful attraction. I'm really looking forward to seeing what it ends up being. All right. So story. All right. Moving on to yes, story number three, yes, right? Yes. Uh, so uh, Disney, yeah, DisneyDining.com among the outlets that are reporting that Walt Disney World uh, may have a name change coming up. You know, right now it's just in that rumor stage, but, uh, you know, renaming Walt Disney World to either Disney World, two different words there, or Disney World, one word like Disneyland, uh, which would leave uh, Walt's namesake out of the park Um, do you think that matters i think that from a guest standpoint typically they call it disney world anyway i know i do but at the same time i i think that uh walt himself walt disney had enough of a um 
contribution to the park itself that you know Roy changed the name from just Disney World to Walt Disney World in honor of his you know recently passed brother who never got to see the park open. Uh, and I, I personally think that that um, that should carry on the legacy. What are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, I I'm like you. You know, I always referred to it as Disney World whenever I was going to go there. Um, you know, I'd post something on social on that Disney World. But at the same time, the image in my, you know, my head when I think of Disney World, the logo, it has Walt in it. You know, so it's woven into the fabric of that, that logo that they've had forever. Uh, so to me, yeah, it does kind of matter that uh, his with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I don't think that they're going to sell one ticket or... Uh, not sell a ticket based on this at all. I and I actually uh, I don't really know what their uh, what their thought process is. My my only thought is that like you know there's always rumors of you know Walt Disney being some sort of bad man for one reason or another, and they're worried somebody would dig something up and it would be a black eye. I don't know if that's what they're thinking, um, but th- you can't separate Walt from the company. Everybody knows that Walt Disney is Walt Disney, no, so I, it would be pointless and it would be. Uh, you know, almost bowing down to something that hasn't really happened. But um, I think it would be a very expensive change, and I think it would be unnecessary unless there's something that you and I don't know, right? Exactly on that. But it, to me, you know, the first thing I think about when, you know, you see stories like this that are starting to appear out in the, you know, the different uh, Central Florida um, you know, news media outlets and, and the different uh, blogs and things is – you know, there's always that thing that, you know, sometimes when something's not broke, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're trying to fix it. And that, that to me comes into this situation here where it's not broke calling it Walt Disney World. Uh, but, um, you know, who knows? I mean, again, to me, Disney World, that's what it's known as. That's what people refer to it as when they go. Uh, but I do think that uh, you'd love to see his name namesake remain as part of the party. I completely agree. Now, Don, um, this kind of plays into uh, a lot of our conversation with David, but... Um, you know, when we're talking about technology within the parks, uh, let's talk about cell phones specifically. Uh, when I was looking for different um, uh, news articles, you know, for, for tonight's program, um, I, I got a lot of things about like th- this person was injured from a flying cell phone and this new feature is coming to an app for a park. So it seems like there's two sides of this conversation, but, you know, there's also the factor of when somebody's nose is in their phone, it's taking them out of the moment in the park. Do you think cell phones are a convenience or an interference with your park experience? You know, it's both. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It really is both. Uh, There's no, um, you know, not leaning one way or the other on that. Uh, You do want um, that convenience of having, you know, the cell phone with you. It's a way for, uh, the communication between a park and its guests, uh, you know, throughout the day, uh, you're, you know, you're driving people to mobile apps, you know, to, to leave that world of paper behind, as we talked about earlier with David, um, you know, so I, I think when you really look at it, um, you know, the, the good is going to outweigh the, the negative there, you know, the convenience of it, uh, you know, versus that interference. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. As somebody that, I mean, cell phones became a thing when I was like a senior in high school and then smartphones came in, you know, five to, let's say seven years later with the iPhone-ish. So my cell phone is definitely integrated into my life. I I would go as far as saying that I'm probably as addicted as anybody else that's, you know, had one their whole lives. Um, But I really do like how it can um, hedge 
your bets with the park. You can do the ride wait times and stuff. All this, if you guys want to look back at our previous podcast, we've got a thing where we discuss the perfect mobile app and how you can have the perfect situation. But um, I, 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 I'm with you. I would say that the net outcome is positive with cell phones. Yes, you know, I'm, I'm using the app to, to navigate my way around the park, look at the ride wait times. If they have mobile ordering, you know, I'm doing it through the app. Uh, so, you know, it's become a part of that theme park experience for me is that to have that convenience of having all that information on my device right there. Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, Ryan Bush Gardens, uh, they're going to have their beer fest. The dates are going to be August 12th to September 5th. It's just going to be weekends. Uh, the park guests are going to be able to um, savor seasonal favorites and brew-inspired dishes featuring uh, the fall flavors. The festival, it blends the local Tampa Bay area craft scene uh, with time-honored traditions to create a unique food and beer celebration. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, my understanding is that this celebration will be at both Bush Park locations at Williamsburg and Tampa. So, uh, so um, you've got experience with beer fests and stuff with different entertainment facilities. Do those usually go pretty well? I mean, I know that usually they repeat. You know, I look at it as when a park is having a, um, like a coaster enthusiast event, you know, there, there's the coaster enthusiast and you're going to draw from outside of your, you know, typical, uh, area, you know, on that given day, you're going to have people from, you know, more than three or four or five different states coming to your park. You know, it could be 20, 30 different states that come when you have those enthusiast events and the uh, craft beer, you know, enthusiast, same way that you're going to have a lot of guests come into your park when you do these kind of festivals uh, that typically would not have come, you know, and uh, just like a coaster event where it's about camaraderie. You know, and you're talking with different uh, coaster enthusiasts about your favorite parks, your favorite rides, you know, what you love about roller coasters. It's the same thing when you have a craft beer festival that, um, you know, it, it, they go there to, uh, you know, hear from the different, uh, you know, breweries and, and you know, try to, to learn as much as they can about these beers. They want to talk to other people about them, uh, you know, to share their experiences and that. So it's really, it's a unique event. Yeah, I completely agree. And, um, you know, having... You know, we discussed this on the program, but I went to the Williamsburg Bush Gardens and, you know, beer is spelled, how do they spell it with their thing? Is it B-I-E-R? Yeah, so that's the German spelling. Uh, well, their Germany section is the most impressive, I think, of, of, of that park, you know, with their fest house is just incredible. That, that was just like the one of the neatest things that I had seen. So I think that it would be a really immersive experience there. Um, Tampa is, doesn't have the same kind of theme, but they also, what they do, they do very well. So I think this, this could be like a really successful, um, thing for them, especially with the fact that they're both touristy and kind of a local park. Uh, cause I feel like this will draw the locals and the regionals far more than, you know, I'm going to fly down there from, you know, Castle Ryan in Kentucky to Tampa to go to a, a you know, a beer fest. Don't you think? Right. Yeah, I agree with you there with that. But, uh, you know, that Tampa Bay uh, craft beer scene, it's, uh, you know, it's a big thing there. You know, I have a, several friends that are, uh, you know, craft beer fans, and they consider that one of the best uh, areas, you know, in the country for, for craft beers. Don, are you a craft beer fan? No. No, I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm you know, going to be the traditionalist there with that. But uh, no, I mean, but I know a lot of people. Uh, you know that are. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, it seems like 
most craft beer enthusiasts that are under the age of like 25 or so. It's a lot of people where drinking still kind of novel. So um, doing this sort of thing is to somebody who's 24. I think that a craft beer means a lot more than it would be to somebody who's as old as me or you, because to us, it's a $10 beer to them. It's like this effervescent thing that I, I just don't see anymore at my age. It's an experience. You know, it's an experience. It's not just going to the bar and having a beer. I mean, it, truly is an experience for the craft beer fans. It is. And and, and I will, one thing I will say is that craft beer is definitely a different product than your typical Budweiser and stuff. Personally, I prefer your regular American beer, the Budweiser's and stuff. I like them. I don't like them thick and stuff. My dad was always a big um, Warsteiner fan. And it was almost like you had to drink it with a spoon. But uh, yeah, for each their own. And um, yeah, I'm sure they'll have a really, really successful event. And uh, so hats off to Bush Gardens and best of luck to them. So, Don, we're going to head down south again for this next seg- uh, not this next segment, for this next article. So, uh, Universal's Epic Universe construction is picking up. So, um, this is a park I'm really excited about. I, like I've mentioned before, I've got a lot of friends that work for Universal. And they're, they're to imagine being able to use the technology that Universal has developed over the past 10 or 15 years and start from scratch. I think that's just incredible. Um so uh, you know reports from Orlando Park Guide uh, saying that we can we're seeing vertical construction. Uh, there's track supports that are up for the Yoshi ride. Uh, that's in the Super Mario World section, and uh, pieces of the track are laid out for the How to Train Your Dragons coaster. Uh, the intended opening date is still spring of 2025. Don, starting a park from scratch, I, I it's funny because you, you look at all the parks that have opened. You know, over the past 20 years, you and you've got like Hard Rock Park failed freestyle music park, which is the reincarnation of Hard Rock Park failed. You've got um, is it Adventureland in Iowa? They were reporting low attendance. It's hard to open a park. It really is. And it's not always the fault of, you know, the person, the people that are opening it. Universal has already done it once in the past 10 years. They opened Volcano Bay. It was a much needed water park expansion. You know, when it comes to. um opening a whole other gate, what kind of factors do you think played into making this kind of decision? Well, location, number one, where you're at. I mean, you know, that it's uh, already proven to be successful in Central Florida, so that would play a big role in it, uh, that you're, you're, you know, why this is called the uh, Universal's Epic Universe. I mean, you are in the theme park hotbed down there, so you have that chance there. But, I mean, when you look at this, I mean, 750 acres, that's more than double just about the size of the Universal Parks right now that they take up. So you're going to have a theme park. You're going to have an entertainment district. Uh, you're going to have hotels. You're going to have shops, um, you know, restaurants. Uh, so this is going to be some kind of complex when it's when it's open in 2025. I agree. And uh, before 2025, actually another article that I didn't uh, take the time to cite is saying that uh, they're predicting that one of the hotels that's on site can be considered a uh, Epic Universe hotel will may open a year beforehand. So, um, you know, if you stayed in a hotel facing a construction, I mean, obviously for people like you and I, it would be interesting, but, um, you know, a year out from opening a park looks like a theme park and it might be cool to see the construction actually going on from your balcony, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, that would be, you know, just like visiting a park for people like you and I and, and others, 
of our ilk, that would be uh, just as exciting as going to a park as the seeing one coming to life, you know, being built from the ground floor. Yeah, up. yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that, um, you know, not not just the fact that, you know, like, let's strike out the last 15 or so years that you've been in the industry, but your time as an enthusiast, as well as, um, you know, the different PR stunts that you had done over the past 30 years before that. But to me, um, I think what makes me unique as opposed to an average park visitor uh, besides a passion for the industry, of course, is that I'm always far more interested in why something happened and how something happened rather than what actually happened when it comes to the parks. So to me, it's like seeing that, okay, we're going to put these attractions here. I I want to ride them. I'm excited to ride them. But, but you know, why would you put why, you know, how to train your dragons? How does that work? How, how do you make that immersive? How, how do you predict how many people are going to show up? That's what's interesting to me. You know, did, did you feel the same way before you actually took a dive into the industry? Oh, absolutely. I was always fascinated by, you know, everything that went into to building something, whether it was a new attraction, a new section, you know, um, putting in a water park, whatever it may be, you know, just the, the thought process that goes into that. Uh, you know, so many talented people, you know, are involved in these things and how, you know, you know, when you started from scratch and surveying the land, just the whole works. I mean, I was always as fascinated about that as I was the end product when you got to experience it. Yeah. And what, what I think is funny is like with, um, you know, you and I are kind of the same with, whether in, in discussions with each other or even like online forums and stuff. Um, for me, like when a park does something and people don't understand it because of my, you know, curiosity, I'm, I'm usually able to speculate it's either this, this, or it's something that we don't know about, you know? And I think that's like a really good basis for um, being able to justify a lot of the decisions. Sometimes it's greed. Sometimes they raise prices just because they can. But oftentimes it's because, you know, oh, why did they make the Halloween attraction a separate gate? Well, you can do crowd control that way. It might be more money. It may not. It's going to upset a lot of people. But maybe they're having problems and this is a way to fix it, you know? That sort of thing. All right. Well done, Pick six went really quickly this time. Um, you know, the name of, uh, you know, Walt Disney World possibly mm -hmm. or uh, magic bands getting introduced at a place that, uh, you know, hasn't had it. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, people are going to be talking about over the next, uh, you know, several weeks and months. Yeah. And as always, uh, we, we welcome your feedback and we appreciate your support. Uh, we do want to continue to have guests on the show. Uh, we would love, if you tweet at us, uh, attractions underscore GRP, or if, you know, most of you guys run into us out on, out in town, let us know what you think about the, the three person format. Uh, if you thought it was too cluttered or if you thought it was super exciting or, or whatever, uh, we'd really appreciate that feedback. Um, and if you want to tweet at us, if you want to recommend any guests that you would recommend having on the show that you think would be interesting that are major contributors or players in the theme park industry that can kind of just shoot the breeze and tell us what they got going on and how they do things and what we can learn from them, then we'd really appreciate that. So once again, our Twitter handle is at attractions underscore GRP. You can follow us on YouTube by searching for the attractions group podcast, and you can find us on your favorite podcast app. So, Don, what are your final words of wisdom for the the evening when we're recording this? Final words of wisdom, uh, you know, I, I think follow us, like we talked about at the top so of the show, wise. because 
you may, you know, you may have a chance to, uh, to win some cool prizes. You know, I'm going to, uh, you know, scale back a little bit on my uh, treasure trove of, of, of um, amusement theme park uh, memorabilia. So, uh, you know, what better than to, uh, to, to give it away to people that would appreciate having some of those things that I have. Awesome. Well, I'm sure that they really appreciate that. So, Don, once again, thank you for co-hosting with me this fine evening. Uh, as of the time of this recording, we're going to find out what Dollywood's announcing tomorrow. So we're b very excited about that. I'm sure that'll make the pick six. Uh, it is announcement season, so we're going to see a lot of that and a lot of analysis as to why they made these decisions. Are they good? Are they bad? And, you know, how do they get from point A to point B? So very exciting shows coming up over the next several months. So again, I'm Ryan Sir. I'm with Don Helbig. Everybody have a great day.